Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiphany. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. To church today, it is good to be in the house of God, singing and worshiping Jesus. As the song, as the song was going in the, I was about to say the choir, but the worship team was singing. I was thinking about Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you, for, for you and you only have to be silent. That's what the scripture says. We have a God that fights for us. And you know, he doesn't even fight fair. Colossians, Paul says that he disarms the rulers. He literally takes their weapons from them and then beats them. That's the kind of God that we serve, that, uh, a God that is loving and gracious. And man, I'm glad y'all came to church, but I, I hope that y'all came to talk and, and worship and be a little bit excited today. You know, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He who has been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And I just want to know if I'm in the right room. Anybody been redeemed today? Purchased back? Given another chance? Amen. Well, we come to sing about the Christ that has redeemed us. We come to worship him through song. And of course, we come to worship him through the preaching of the word. So do me a favor. Grab your Bibles or your devices. Go to the Old Testament. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah. Once you're in Isaiah, flip over to... Isaiah 49, there's 66 chapters in Isaiah. You'll find us somewhere closer to the middle of the book, which is Isaiah 49. Uh, welcome to our first time visitors, those of you who are hanging out with us for the first time. I saw some of you raise your hands. Uh, we don't take it lightly that you're here. It's a big deal that you decide to come hang out with us today. And those of you who are online, uh, we are grateful that you are hanging out. I know it's raining outside, so some people decide to stay home. But I'm shocked that so many of y'all came out today in the midst of a, a, a tsunami, you know, exaggerated a little bit. Uh, but it's, it's really good to be here with you guys, and welcome to our first-time visitors. If, uh, if you can't, if you don't have to rush right out, come hang out at the bar for a second. We certainly will be uh, giving out some gifts, but also just want to hear your story and get to know you a little bit. Uh, before I dig in and preach today, I am excited about a four-week sermon series that we will be going through starting next week throughout the, the month of October. Uh, it's not a book series, but it's a, a topical series, and we're going to be talking about the, the topic title is We Are Family. I think sometimes you can go to church and then, you know, you look at the people that you're sitting next to as the, the person I go, to, I go to church with. You know, you'll see them in the stream like, oh, yeah, I go to church with her. Uh, but we don't just go to church together. We're actually supposed to be family. And how many know that that brings joy and mess? I need somebody that's family is, is great, but you know you got a few uncles that's a little ghetto and few few aunts that get on your nerves. I know somebody is in the house right now, but you know, every now and then family is just, it's, it's complicated. And here's the crazy thing, we didn't grow up together. We don't have the same worldviews, we didn't have the same upbringing, and so our values might be a little bit different, but the centrality of Christ is what bridges us together. What, what makes us common is that we all worship the same king. So that makes us body. You know, the way I think about this is, you know, anybody that has professed faith in Jesus across the world is your brother and your sister. And we get to work that out and flesh that out through the local church. Does that make sense? So the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of we are family. And we're going to look at the joys and what it looks like to bear one another's burdens. And we're also going to look like what it we're going to look at what it looks like to get on each other's nerves. Uh, but nevertheless, we should walk out. It's an in-house fight because we are truly family. All right, let's dig into the word, man. I'm, I, 
Full confession, I have been waiting to preach this passage for a long time. I felt like maybe about a year ago, the Lord kind of laid this one on my heart and I, I marked it up and I put some notes on it and I you know, marked it in my Bible and put it in my journal, but I never got around to preaching it. And I almost felt like the Lord was like, no, no, wait, wait. And I don't know, something happened that I just feel it's time to kind of preach this word. And I think it's relatable to everybody that's in this room, whether you have trusted in Jesus or not. I think that this passage could be applicable to your life. Pay attention to verse 14 for me. Y'all good? Y'all there? Verse 14 says, but Zion, that's also interchangeable with Jerusalem or Israel. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Please underline or mark this next phrase. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands and your walls are continually before me. Let me lift back up the B part of verse 15. Yet I will not forget you. I want to preach this afternoon from the topic entitled, You Have Not Been Forgotten. Come on, I know I tell you all to look at your neighbor and I'll probably do it a few more times. Just, just look at somebody and just say, you have not been forgotten. Now, hold on, hold on, because sometimes I tell you all to, to, to look at your neighbor and I think you just do it out of habit. And some of y'all like, I ain't doing that. You know, that's that church stuff. It's all good either way. But you have no clue how many people have walked in today and feel unseen, unloved, and feel like God has forgotten them. So I need you to look at somebody and seriously declare it to them. You have not been forgotten. Come on, one more time. Look behind you, somebody, and just say, you ain't been forgotten, baby. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Our Father, we, we slow the pace all the way down because we want to hear from you. So we, we're in this moment and we don't do so dependent on ourselves. We are not intellectual enough to understand the complexity of your word. We just, okay, how much schooling we have? Okay, how many degrees we have? Lord, I don't, I don't care how many languages we know. We cannot understand and get, thank you, Lord, insight to your word unless you open it up to us. And so, Father, I pray that you would breathe on us all. And at the end of the day, Lord, I pray that we would see Jesus in this text. I, I echo the words of Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because in them you think you find life. But these are the very scriptures that bear witness about me. And so as Jesus points us to the fact that he fulfills all of scripture, may we find him today in the text. Because that's the assurance we need. It's him. In Jesus' name, I give glory. Amen. You have not been forgotten. Nathaniel Adams Cole, a.k.a. Nat King Cole. I need an OG in the room just to say, I know that one. I know that one right there. Nat, Nat King Cole recorded a song in 1951 and then actually sang it publicly live for the first time in 1952. A song called Unforgettable. Y'all know that song? Unforgettable, that's what you are. Unforgettable, though near and far. Y'all know the song? That song has literally broke records. It was song of the year. It, it was recorded, uh, re record of the year. I don't know if y'all realize, but it was re-recorded by his daughter, uh, Natalie Cole. Y'all know that one too, right? Natalie Cole re-recorded it with her and him and 
She even won a, um, she won an award for best traditional pop vocalist uh, of the year. It's been inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2000. It's literally been on countless movies at this point. Most recent movie in 2016 was a movie called Finding Dora. It was an uh, animated movie with Ellen DeGeneres and Idris Elba. I need a woman just say, amen, Idris, I got you. <laughs> this, this song has broke records. And he's literally saying that a woman is unforgettable. And although he might have recorded it in 1951, I would argue that God, through Isaiah chapter 49, is the first to ever declare over someone that you're unforgettable. He's talking to Israel right now, and in, in the midst of talking to Israel, he is claiming to them that I will not forget you, a.k.a. you are unforgettable. Quick context, Israel's in trouble again. I mean, I don't know if y'all picked this up with, with, with Israel in the Old Testament. There's a cycle that they constantly go through. There's a cycle of sin and rebellion, and then God punishes them, and then they repent, and then God restores them. And then they fall back into sin. And then God punished them. And then they repent. And then God restores them. I, I think you think I'm still talking about Israel. I'm now talking about you. We fall into sin and rebellion. God punishes us. We then repent. And then God restores us. So right now, Israel's in trouble again. All of Isaiah chapter 49, uh, Isaiah is prophesying to them that they will go into Babylonian captivity again. And, and I, I would predict that this isn't just true of, um, of, uh, of Israel feeling forgotten. I think 52% of the room, and probably 62%, I'm making those up, of the people online have felt forgotten before. If, I, if, I just, if I'm in the right room, I just want to see who would say, like, I felt forgotten by God before. Okay, see those hands in this room? Just look around. Hold the hand up for a second. Look around. That, that's most of us in this room. And here's the reality. Some of you, it, it's, it's a current reality. Right now, you walked in and you have felt like God is giving you the silent treatment. And so what I want to do is I want to lean into the truth of the word of God today. Because what we feel may not be true. I want to lean into what God is telling us through the prophet Isaiah. Now, I have three points that are going to pop up on the screen. Three points that literally flow in the text so well. It's like God set this one up on a T-ball. Verse 14, we're going to see the problem. Verse 15, we're going to see the promise. And verse 16, we're going to see the proof. Let me say it differently. We're going to see and be introduced to the problem that's in the text. Then we're going to see the promise that God makes based on that, that problem. And then we're going to see, because God knows, you know, we, he can't just make promises to us. He has to prove to us that the promise is true. So we're going to see the proof, which is found in verse 16. Let's, let's deal with the first one. Y'all good? Verse 14, we're going to deal with the problem. It says, but Zion or Israel, or Jerusalem, said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Right now, Israel currently feels abandoned. They feel abandoned because they're in the midst of struggle, and they're in the midst of hardship, and they're in the midst of trials, and they're in Babylon, and they're, they're in exile. So because they, are, they feel uh, like, they're, they're, like God's thumb is on them, they also feel like God has left them or forsake them. And I was a little baffled, if I'm honest, when I read verse 14, the reason I was baffled is because God over and over and over again throughout the book of Isaiah, specifically in Isaiah 49, he promised them that he has not left them. 
And so verse 14 hits and they're going, I don't know where God is. God has forsaken me. But the fact that he promised at least four times in Isaiah 49 that he would not leave them means that they really should be rejoicing in verse 14. Okay, let me back that thing up with some scripture because y'all are just looking at me weird. Verse number eight, watch this promise that God makes to them. It says, thus says the Lord. This is verse eight. I will keep you and give you, watch the word, as a covenant to the people. It's not a contract. It's a covenant to establish the land. Okay, here's another promise. Verse number nine, saying to the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness appear. He literally said, those of you who are in captivity will come out and you will appear. Verse number 10, he gives another promise. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he has pity on them, uh, but he who has pity on them will lead them by the springs of water and guide them. He literally said you are in the midst of hardship, so you are hungry, you are thirsty, the wind is scorching on you, the wind, the, the, uh, the, the sun is scorching on you. But he says, but that's not always going to be. Watch, this is probably the, the clearest one. Verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt the earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has not, uh, the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on the afflicted. Let me say that again. Here's what he said, the, the, literally the verse before, verse 14. The Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on the afflicted. You would think that he would get to verse 14 and Israel would be in the midst of a praise break. You, you would think that they would be shouting, they'd be speaking in tongues, they'd be doing all of it. You would think they would be going crazy right now. But they get to verse 14, despite all of the promises they just read, even in the preceding verse, verse 13, and they get to verse 14, despite the promises and say, God, have you left us? We feel forsaken. Despite the repeated assurance of redemption, they feel unredeemed and they feel like God is not there. Now, this isn't just true of Israel. I think that's true of us as well. Do you know how many promises God has made to never leave you? Yet when I said, how many of you have ever felt forsaken? Did you notice most of the room said me? I had my hands and my toes up because there are moments in hardship that I'm like, God, God, where are, where are you? Anybody ever had that moment? Here's the thing. We really shouldn't have those moments because God is like, I ain't ever leaving you. I'm not going to forsake you. In fact, let me, let me put scripture here. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse five, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. I am with you always to the end of the ages. That's a promise. John chapter 10, verse 28. I will give them eternal life and they will not perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Let me repeat that. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That is a promise that God makes that he will not leave you. And we read these unconditional promises as though they're conditional. This is unconditional. It has nothing to do with your behavior. Now, this doesn't mean go out and just do whatever you want. But don't get it twisted when you fall and when you mess up and when we're like Israel in the cycle of sin and rebellion and punishment and repentance. God is still like, but they still mine. I won't leave you and I will not forsake you. And many of you feel um, uh, uh, like God has abandoned you for several reasons. Maybe it's the prayer that you prayed that has still gone, un gone unanswered. Y'all know them prayers that we still waiting for that you wrote in your journal? And you're like, God, I ain't see this one come to pass yet. And because you ain't see it go, come to pass, you feel like the prayer never left the room or you feel like God got it and he looked over you. Oftentimes, those are the moments where 
we start to feel abandoned by God. Maybe it's the sudden loss of a loved one. All of us have experienced that. You know that we're a text message or a phone call away from some bad news. Maybe it is in those moments where you feel like God has forsaken you. Maybe it's a couple that is dealing with infertility. And you've been going to the doctor and you've been trying to figure it out. Meanwhile, everybody else around you, you know, other husbands and wives look at each other and then they just get pregnant. And we're dealing with infertility. And I'm like, God, where are you at right now? I've been faithful. I've been good. Maybe it's the hardship that you're in. Because suffering has a way of making us feel abandoned the same way Israel feels abandoned. Maybe it's that promotion that you didn't get. And you know darn well you're more qualified than she is. But she got the job over you. It is in those moments that we feel abandoned. But let me assure you today that God has not abandoned you. Why? Because it's not in his nature to. It is not his character to leave you. He will not leave us. He gives us eternal life if we've trusted in him. Can I just write this note down? There is no fine print with eternal life. Let me, let me say that again. There is no fine print with eternal life. Y'all know that fine print when you, you have a Hulu or, or a Netflix uh, subscription and you sign up, you get seven days free. And then two months later, you pay a 1099. You're like, well, what in the world happened? You thought it was just going to cut off, you know, some fine print in there that you didn't know you had to actually call. There is no fine print with eternal life. Can you believe this, this is going to be deep? Eternal actually means eternal. So the moment you believe, oftentimes we think eternal life is when we get to heaven. Baby, if you've trusted in Jesus, eternal life has already started. So that means if I've trusted in Jesus, I can't make a mistake. And then he's like, oh, I don't know. I messed up. It actually wasn't eternal. It was temporary. God doesn't give us temporary life. And he doesn't give you eternal life until you mess up. Eternal life means eternal life. And so when we feel unseen and unloved and and not cared for and not heard. When we feel like we're in a room that is crowded and we're going, God, why don't you see me? God is like, baby, I see you. And I got you. Somebody look at your neighbor and just say, God's got you. Here's the reason that we often feel like God has forgotten us. Because we size God up often to human relationships. Y'all know we project on God. We look at our father and we be like, I ain't going with my father. You know, my father abandoned me. And because my father abandoned me, I have trust issues. And I usually don't just have trust issues with the people around me, but I now have trust issues with God. I know that's true. And I know that some of y'all in the room, maybe it's a mother that maybe she didn't abandon you. She just worked too much. And so you grew up and you never got hugged. And you never, she never said, I love you. And so you have grown up now and you feel like God is kind of distant from you the same way your mother and father was. Maybe it was a boyfriend that cheated on you. And he did you wrong and he did you dirty and he embarrassed you and he broke your heart. And because of that, you now feel like I can't give God my heart because if I give him my heart. He might mishandle it like a human being has done it. Maybe it's a friend that has betrayed you and you shared some deep secret with that person only to find out that that thing went around the world and everybody knows about it. And because of that, you feel like you can't trust God. But I'm telling you, never size God up based on human relationships. Because one thing I've learned about humans is we fickle. We, we, we sometimey. We don't, we won't, every relationship that you are in right now, it is not a perfect relationship. We are imperfect people trying to work this thing out, but don't put that on God. You got to understand that when God says, I won't leave you, he means it. Israel feels forsaken. And let me just highlight feels because they're not actually forsaken. 
Verse 14 proves to us that your feelings ain't always accurate. I know you feel I know you feel like something. Your feelings aren't always legit. You can't trust you. Can I, that's deep. You can't trust you. And you can't trust you because I don't care how sold you are on the fact that God might have left you. If God promised to never leave us nor forsake us, then that means your feeling is not actually accurate. You know, Israel didn't just feel like this. Israel's uh, second king felt like this. David felt like this. Then you read the scriptures, you were like, David, you all over the place. You know, one passage, he's like, God, I, you're smothering me. You're so close. You're near. I can hardly breathe. And the next passage, he's going, God, where are you? I, don't, I can't find you. Let me read a passage to you. Psalm 44, verse 24. Here's what David said. Why do you hide your face from me? And why do you forget the afflictions of the oppressed? He felt like God had, had abandoned him. But if you read the rest of the scripture, David was never abandoned. And so our feelings might not always be true. Here's the problem. Israel feels forgotten. But because they feel forgotten, God gives us a promise. Look at verse 15. Y'all with me still? Verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Let me say that again. I will not forget you. There's, that's a promise right there. The fact that Israel feels forgotten, here's the promise. God is like, no, you're not forgotten. I will not forget you. So God responds to our doubt with a clear promise and a simple analogy. Here's the analogy. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Now, see, mothers, I need you, I need you, I need you to feel me on this point. Think about the love. Fathers, too, but mothers, think about the love that you have for your child. Imagine abandoning your child, carrying your child for nine months, delivering your child, and then walking away from your child. That is probably unthinkable on the grander scale. Of course, it ha on the grander scale, that is unthinkable. But God is like, that actually pales into comparison to how much I am covenant and community with you. How I care for you and how I love you and how I, I, I won't let anything happen to you. It pales into comparison if I think about a mother with a nursing child. Let me pause here for a second and say, you know, this actually... I don't know, made me rejoice, verse 15, because oftentimes when you read about God, you read about him through the eyes of a father. But in verse 15, he has no issue, absolutely no issue, using a metaphor of a mother to describe his faithfulness to you. Let me say that again. Oftentimes we see God described as a father throughout the text. But today in our text, he has absolutely no issues using a metaphor of a mother to describe his steadfast love for his people. And he doesn't just do it here. He does it at the end of the book. At the end of the book, he does the same thing as one whom his mother comforts. So will I comfort you and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. God is like, even though you feel forgotten, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can a mother deliver a child and then walk away from that child? Absolutely not. That is not common. Mothers would put their lives on the line for their children. Can I get a mother to say amen? Mothers will go without eating for their children. And God is like the, the greatest human bond. My relationship with you is even greater. I was at breakfast with Ty a couple weeks ago. And, you know, we were at Clinton Street Bakery. I'd argue to this day, those, those are the greatest pancakes. And I know Cafe Lulu, I get it. But if them edges ain't crispy on that pancake, 
that ain't the best pancake. So we was at Clinton Street Bakery, and, and Ty and I just sitting there. I'm, you know, we eating pancakes and freshly squozing orange juice, squozing orange juice. And I'm, we sitting there chilling, and the day is nice. You know, it's a brisk day, and you know, I like when the weathers are changing. And Ty and I are sitting there, and she gets a text message from my youngest son. And my youngest son says, I'm in the bathroom with a nosebleed. Now, I'm unbothered because he typically has nosebleeds. You know, the humidity in the air. I'm chilling. I have no issues. I'm good. Ty is freaking out. She's texting him. He's not texting back. That made it worse. She's calling him. He didn't call back. That made it worse. She's FaceTiming him. He didn't pick up. That made it worse. And she literally uttered these words out of her mouth. Maybe he's passed out in the bathroom and nobody knows it. I'm like, babe. It's just a nosebleed. He all right. He then texts us back a few minutes later and says, I'm back in class. That evening when I saw him, I said, look, don't text your mother stuff like that. She's crazy. Text me. He affirmed it, too. He's like, you, you're right. You're right. I'm going to text you next time. Because a mother's mom, the reason why Ty was freaking out and I was unbothered with pancakes and orange juice is because the bond between a mother and her son is unbreakable. It's unthinkable to think that a mother would walk away from her child. And so what God does is God uses the strongest language, the strongest human connection that he can think of and says, but my love for you is even greater than that. Now, here's the thing. Yes, he does chastise us, but he does that even in love. What does the scripture say? Those whom he loves, he chastens. He does punish us. But don't get it twisted. Punishment and correction are not abandonment. Listen, I got beat. I didn't grow up, you know, in those in the time out two minutes over there. I, that wasn't that wasn't my generation. I didn't go, you know, go over there and think about what you just did. No, I could go over there and grab the switch, bring that back and don't get the small switch. Like that's the kind of that's the generation I grew up in. And, you know, because God redeemed it because I talked all the time, all the time. And I told everything everything. It didn't matter what it was. I just told, I told, I was, <laughs> when I tell you I was a snitch in my house, I had two older brothers and an older sister, and I told everything. And be, be, because of that, I often got myself in trouble. But here's what I never questioned, my mother's love for me. Now, maybe I did while I was getting, you know, in the midst of getting beat, but when it was over, I was like, that, that was good for me. I, need, I needed that. Now that I look back on some of the stuff I got in trouble for, I'm like, I needed that. Because a mother's bond, even though she spanks us and punishes us and corrects us, doesn't mean that she does not love us. And so what God is saying in this passage is, look, yes, a mother is, is close to her child, but I'm even closer to you. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Now, God even says they might. Did you read that in the text? He says, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? And then God is like, wait, wait, wait. Okay, surely they may forget. But I will not forget you. So God is like, even in those moments where a mother does abandon her child, maybe it's dementia, uh, dementia maybe it's amnesia, maybe it's a mother that is uh, on drugs and she walked away from her family. We have those situations as humans. God is like, even in those situations, I won't forget you. I won't abandon you. So the strongest mother bond that she has with her son, I have an even greater bond with you. Oh, but even on top of that, even if the mother does walk away from you, you can bank on it that I will not walk away from you. Because what he's giving us right here is a deep theological term called the perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints simply means that the bond that God has, let me switch that word, the covenant 
that God has with you and I is unbreakable. And let me mess you up. It's not unbreakable because you hold on to the covenant. It's unbreakable because we mess up the covenant, but God holds on to us. There is a difference. There is a difference when it comes to the perseverance of the saints. That does not mean you persevere towards God. It means God perseveres towards you. And that's what keeps the relationship intact. You know what messes me up? When I think about salvation, I'm so blown away that God saved me. But I'm even more enamored that I'm still saved. I need somebody in the room that messed up and you made some mistakes and you made some wrong turns and some bad decisions to rejoice over the fact that the perseverance of the saints means that God pursues you. And the only reason you're still in relationship with God right now is because he continues to pursue you and because he chases after you. So in those moments where you feel far from God, do you know you're actually close? Because if you really were far, you would feel nothing at all. But the fact that you even feel far means that God is bringing you near. That God is bringing you close, that God is redeeming you and God is forgiving you and, and, and God is looking over and dealing with you with the stuff that we've gone through. He is a promise keeper. In the text, he says, listen, even these mothers may forget because they're, they're, they're sometimey. You know, human, you humans, y'all, y'all are fickle. Y'all don't always get it right. But I'm God. Right. I, I won't abandon you. I won't have an amnesia. I won't have dementia. I, 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 won't, I, won't, I won't get strung out on drugs. I will be there for you. And I don't know why you're not rejoicing right now thinking of the fact that God doesn't let us go. Now, this don't mean go out and do whatever you want and live whatever life you want to live. But this does mean rejoice in the fact that when you are saved, he carries you all the way through. He won't let you go. Rose may have let Jack go. But he won't let you go. He holds tight on to us. Okay, first there's the problem. What is the problem? Israel feels forgotten. Then there is the promise. What is the promise? Can a, can a, can a woman forget her nursing child? Then he goes on to say, I won't forget you. But God knows that all of us, know, all of us need proof that the promise is true. So what is the proof that the promise is true? Verse 15. Behold, I have engraved you. On the palm of my hands, your walls are continuously before me. This idea of the walls being continually before him means that he's going to restore Israel back to the walls in, in Jerusalem. They're going to they're going to come back to the land, even though they're in Babylon right now. But that's not what messed me up. The A part messed me up. I am engraved on God's hand. You have been engraved on the palm of his hand. Sure. On some level, this this does mean that. He's that we're always before him. Our hands, our palms are always before him. It's, it's almost like, you know, going to a supermarket and you have a, you know, a little toddler. And if they're running around, the way you keep them secure and close is you put their hand in the palm of your hand. Of course, it means that on some level. But even deeper than that, always, please take this note, always read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. The reason we got a New Testament, the best commentator to the Old Testament is the new. Always look at an Old Testament passage 
and rub it up against the New Testament. Well, if I look at the implications from this Old Testament passage and I rub it up against the New Testament, these words mess me up. Behold, I have engraved you in the palm of my hands. I don't know if y'all see where I'm going, but in the New, in the Old Testament, God is like, you can look at my hands, the palm of my hands as proof. But in the New Testament, we can look to his son's hands as proof that God won't ever leave you. That, that, that the promise is sure. Sure, he bled through his hands, but that blood was a promise. Sure, he suffered through his hands, but that suffering was a promise. Sure, in his hands, the nails would have went, but the nails going in his hands was proof of him saying, I won't leave you. You can take this one to the bank because I endured the suffering on your behalf. That's why I love the song, What Can Wash Away My Sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me whiter than snow. Oh, oh, no other name. I know nothing but the blood of Jesus. I need somebody that is grateful that the blood of Jesus still works. In the Old Testament, God said, you want to know if verse 15 is true? Verse 16, look at the palm of my hands. In the New Testament, Jesus is like, if you want to know if the promises are true of Scripture, Look at my hands. Y'all remember Thomas, right? They call him Doubting Thomas. The reason they call him Doubting Thomas is because in, in John chapter 20, the Bible says that the disciples were all in the room. And this is after Jesus died, but before he ascended to heaven. And as the disciples are in the room, the Bible says that Thomas, that Jesus appears and all of the disciples start rejoicing. You know who's not rejoicing? Thomas. The reason Thomas isn't rejoicing is because he thinks it's a ghost. There's no way this is Christ. And what does Christ say? Oh, you need proof, Thomas? Look at my hands. And then he needed further proof. See, I'm like Thomas. I'm like, oh, okay, I, I, I got you, but I, I need more proof. Come touch the palm of my hands. Because the palm of his hands was proof in the Old Testament, but it is also proof in the New Testament. Verse 15 is true. Why? Because verse 16 is proof of the promise. There's a, 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 some words that I skipped over in verse 14. Verse 14, when it talked about the Lord, notice that the Lord's name is used twice. The first time that it's used, do y'all see this? It's in all caps. Y'all see that in verse 14? The second time it's used, it's lowercase. The L is, is, is uppercase, but the rest of it is lowercase. Because those are, in the English, they're the same, Lord and Lord. But in the Hebrew, in the original language, these are two different words. These are two different names that they're giving to God. First is Yahweh. Somebody say Yahweh. Yahweh literally is the promised proper name of God. It is the name Moses would have received to know that the covenant that was made through Abraham was true. So what, what, what they use is the name Yahweh, which literally means covenant. But also in the second time they use Lord, they don't use Yahweh, they use Adonai. Somebody say Adonai. Adonai doesn't mean the same thing. It's not a promise, proper covenant name. Adonai means master, our Lord. And for some of you in this room, you're simply looking for God. To, you're looking for Yahweh, the promise keeper. He's that. But what you really need is Adonai. You need a master and a Lord. Because if I get God as my master... Do y'all remember Jatay, who was in here? When Jatay walked across this thing and he, you know, we were guiding her through and she was listening to the voice. She was following through. If you haven't seen it, go back and look at the Bible study from Wednesday. 
That is what Adonai does. He guides us and he leads us. And so when you are really submitted to Yahweh, the covenant keeping God and, and the same person, but a different name, Adonai, the master and Lord, it is no way that you'll feel forsaken ever again. You can be in the midst of hardship, but not feel forsaken. You can be in the midst of trials and not feel forsaken. Everybody around you could betray you, but you will feel secure and an anchor in God because he's master and he is a covenant keeper. I want to pray for somebody today that feels abandoned. And I know I'm not, you know, I know I'm not alone in this room. I know there's a bunch of us in this room that have often felt abandoned. So I just lean in for a second. I want to pray today. Look, it's raining outside. Y'all ain't rushing out anyway. <laughs> Can we just spend a couple minutes thanking a God that has kept us? But I, I don't want to rush over the fact that your situation actually is hard. And that situation has you feeling type of way about God and you've communicated it to him many of you have walked away from him but you know what he's doing today he's doing Luke 15 I'm gonna leave the 99 and I'm gonna go after that one and when I get you and I pursue you notice the pursuit is the father I'm gonna put you on my shoulders and I'm gonna bring you back today he's bringing you back to the fold you ain't all the way out there you just have those feelings that are unsettling for you and those feelings, are you feeling forsaken? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Who is it that has been wrestling, feeling like you can't hear from God and God's not talking to you? And frustrated with God. I see those hands. Frustrated with God because you feel like everybody else is getting blessed but, but you. And you feel like everybody, I see those hands. Everybody around you, you know, is the doors are opening and the favor of God is rushing through their life but you, you you're kind of just you're there and you're screaming in a room that's crowded going God do you see me do you hear me and you're met with silence it's something God is doing in that season but today he wants to reconnect you for those of you who raised your hand can y'all do me a favor I promise you ain't nothing spooky or deep can you just come down here so we can pray together those of you who would say, I often feel abandoned. I feel rejected. I see you coming. Thank you, brother. I feel rejected. I feel abandoned. I feel like God has left me. Come on. I saw y'all raise your hand. I'll come out there and get you. Could y'all come up here so we can pray together? Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming, sis. Thank you for coming, sis. Come on down. Jate, I see you. Come on down. Thank you for coming, bro. We, we, oh, there's more of you. There's more. Well, you, you just, you're wrestling. You don't, feel, you don't feel like God loves you. You don't feel like, you know, he's there. And often, you know, entitlement is running rampant in our heart where we feel like, God, you should be there. I served last week. I gave. I was there. I'm always there. And yet everybody else, else around me is, is moving up. But I'm in the same place. God, where are you? I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you, oh God, for these young ladies and these young men that come to today saying, Lord, we don't, we don't always feel seen by you. In full transparency, we don't always feel loved by you. We don't always feel cared by you. And Lord, we're on different spectrums. Some, some of it is it's just subtle, but some of it is so deep 
that it caused us to walk away or it caused us not to be connected or it caused us to stop praying and stop reading our word because we feel like what's the point anyway but father restore us today i pray that you would replace those feelings with the truth of your word that you would replace the feelings of abandonment with the truth that you don't leave us you don't abandon yours can a mother leave her nursing child father you are deeply connected to us and so father i, I know they're here on the altar today and they say, and I just want to, I want a tighter relationship with the Lord. I want to, I want to know that he's present even when I feel like he's not. And even if they overcome it today, there's no magic pill on this altar. We'll feel it again next week or, the, or two months from now because we are so fickle in this relationship. So Lord, on this earth, oh God, we'll wrestle. And we look forward to the day where we will be before your throne, where we will be face to face. That's what your word tells us. That we'll be face to face with you. And when we're face to face with you, we'll never feel abandoned. But right now we do. So, Father, show us at least your hand today. We may not get your face, but show us the, the, the nails in your hand where you engraved our name. And Lord, because of that, oh God, be an anchor to our souls. Be a steadfast, sure anchor. So that when the winds hit and the rain hits and the floods come, we won't abandon you. We feel forsaken, but oftentimes, truth be told, Lord, if we're, if we're really honest, not just those on the altar, but those sitting in their seat, truth be told, we feel forsaken, but oftentimes we really forsake you. You don't walk away from us, but we've walked away from you. And so, Father, redeem us and purchase us back today. Be closer now than you've ever been. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.